This is a One More Mosh Pit production. History abridged. Today we're gonna tell you about the end of Judy Garland's life. This is part three of our three-part series. Yeah, we're gonna wrap it up. Yes, um, we've talked about her early life. She was the baby born to a very domineering, pain-in-the-ass stage mom and a closeted gay dad that doted on Judy and treated her like his little baby. And then a slew of doting gay lovers. Oh yeah, a whole slew. So basically Judy started on stage when she was really young. Her mom got her hooked on pills, uppers and downers when she was about 10. She's fallen in love with many, many gay men. She's been on and off the stage in front of the camera. She's had a few movies under her belt. Basically, she's just a train wreck. Her marriage with said Luft has just been dissolved completely. Yes. And she has just moved on to her new management, and they're the men in her life. So she doesn't need Sid anymore, and I don't know what Sid did for her besides spend her money. Yeah, he was very he made some, notoriously bad. He made some deals for her, but he always squandered it, and yeah. he was in money trouble. Yeah, all she's ever wanted was to be loved and adored by everyone, but unfortunately when she didn't get that, she just turned to pills and she's had it rough she's made some not great choices and she's committed some acts of superficial self-harm yeah she'll keep running (laughs) to the bathroom up until the point that this story ends yep well like i've mentioned she left sid luff she instigated an incident where he became violent so she was able to take the kids Mm -hmm. overseas by this, you mean she set up like a staged... <laughs> yeah, she, she it was a sting operation. Where she basically just... She goaded him goaded into violence him on to, and the right. cops were waiting. I don't think he necessarily got super violent, but it was enough to get her custody of the kids. Well, in London, Judy stars in I Could Go On Singing and would get back up to her old bullshit showing up late or not showing up at all or just being constantly fucked up. 
She even threw in a sleeping pill OD suicide attempt during the shoot. Once again, by some miracle, Judy would make it through another entire filming. This would be her final screen performance. In 1963, the Judy Garland show began its run, but it wouldn't last long due to a series of fuck-ups on the part of the network. Judy started fucking her manager, David Bagelman. She also started seeing Sid again at this time, and he began to uncover the fact that Bagelman was embezzling money from Garland. <gasps> but that's Sid's job. David Bagelman, in the late 70s, would be central figure in the Columbia Pictures embezzlement scandal that started with a forged check. Sid hires an attorney, what they should have done in the first place, to audit Judy's income for time she'd been represented by David Bagelman and Freddie Fields. Several hundred thousand dollars are found to be missing. Most are from checks made out to cash, endorsed by Bagelman, and cashed by various Vegas casinos. What this makes me think is that what if Sid was signing them as that guy? (laughs) He's embezzling money. (laughs) How he just happened to figure Mm. out. (laughs) I mean, that's not outside the realm of possibility. Sid liked his money. I don't think he framed him, but that's just a funny thought. (laughs) Large sums were found to be authorized by Bagelman and debited for protection, but Garland didn't even have any personal security. Also, a 1963 Cadillac convertible given to Garland as partial payment for an appearance on Jack Parr. He was the second Tonight Show host between Steve Allen and Johnny Carson before Leno did his thing to Conan. Jimmy Fallon came in and took a shit all over it as an institution. The title of the vehicle is discovered to be in Bagelman's name. Wow, what what a great payment. I mean, I'd be kind of pissed about that anyway like okay a car that's cool like where's my money garland never even knew that that vehicle was part of the compensation he just took this car from her and never told her and she was so fucked up she just didn't notice anything let you know just how lucid she was during the time Remember Judy's overdose on sleeping pills when she was in London while filming I Could Go On Singing, as I mentioned? Mm -hmm. I remember. It was just a few minutes ago. (laughs) Judy's co-star in that film, Dirk Bogard, told her that a photo existed of her partially nude, having her stomach pumped in a hospital emergency room while being treated for that overdose. He claimed blackmailers were demanding $50,000 in exchange for all the pictures and negatives. So Judy just forked over the money. If she could avoid this negative publicity, she thought she was paying the blackmail, but it turned out that the check went to a holding company with a business address owned by Bagelman and was further traced to a personal account that he also controlled. That is really it's above and beyond. That's he some is, he real put some underhanded into that. shit. Yeah. Rather than confront him at the time because he was playing such a pivotal role in her showbiz renaissance, she decided to eat the financial losses based upon the promises of millions coming in from these deals that they were getting her. Eventually, she ended up suing him for punitive damages, but due to her dire financial situation at the time, she settled with them for royalties owed to her by Capitol Records. 
that's a debt that they basically collected and they were just sitting on they were just holding it so judy settled for money that was already owed to her basically i mean that may have been one of the only ways she could have ever got that money but she's one of the first people to be scammed by bagelman and allegedly was far from the last in 1964, Judy met an aspiring actor named Mark Heron. Heron was in a long-term relationship with another actor named Henry Brendan, but left him to be with Judy. Before, he had been in a relationship, I guess a thruple situation, with both Tallulah Bankhead and Charles Lawton. At this time, Judy starts a sort of world tour and it does not go well. Mark traveled with her to Melbourne, Australia, where she bombed so catastrophically that the crowd hated her. She would give the hostility back, calling them hicks, <laughs> and leaving. Next, they go to Hong Kong, where Judy finds herself in a very tall high-rise when a typhoon hits with 90-mile-per-hour winds. Judy, of course, thinks she's going to die. Yeah, I probably would, too. She asks Mark to commit suicide with her. Mark, of course, declines. Garland would subsequently overdose on two and all and go into a 15-hour coma. Mark rushes her to the hospital in the middle of this typhoon. Just pushing her to the hospital in a wheelchair, there's no public transportation yeah, or I anything mean, it's a in this natural typhoon. disaster right now. She would wake up from the coma and Mark would tell friends, Well, she's being mean as hell again, so I guess she's doing better. Aw, that is that's romance. Judy's behavior would get exponentially more ridiculous from here. 1964 would end on a high note, including two shows at the Palladium with rising young star and daughter, Liza Minnelli. Despite the disastrous world tour, Judy was still performing, but her performances were very hit or miss at this point. Also around this time, Judy would add Ritalin to her chemical repertoire. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it. Nice. Just what she needed. I guess if she was trying to keep balance, I guess, she would need another upper to tip the scales back into that direction. I guess. I mean, she just keeps adding more and more of each, so. Each pill is to fix the damage the last one did. One stalwart group in Judy's fandom that would always be there were gay men. Mm -hmm. Folks, this is where I was talking about where I was going to say some quotes that have some words in them that aren't acceptable to say anymore but these were things that were said critics would snootily disparage this aspect of her following famous critic william golden spent a whole article complaining about her fans calling them and i quote a flutter of fags another paper called them the boys in tight trousers and this is just commonplace almost lot for the time homophobia in the 60s no surprises here that's what that's what they called like that's how they distinguished a group a flutter like yeah. like a murder of crows a murder or of crows or a flock of seagulls yeah a flock of seagulls <laughs> a herd of cows of, well i don't know <laughs> and if there's more than a dozen perverts together you call it a splooge <laughs> well judy even commented and it sounds like she was kind of disparaging of that aspect of her fan base as well. Yeah. Judy said, When I die, I have visions of fags singing over the rainbow and the flag at Fire Island being flown at half-mast. Yeah, 
and so she <laughs> says this, but we really don't know like what her attitude <laughs> yeah, towards them. Right. Like she might have just been like fondly thinking of them and, and this scenario, like that would just be a dream come true. Or she could have been, you know, hating on her fans. Also, that was just a word people just threw around in public and the press, apparently. So, it was acceptable as saying, bruh. (laughs) I don't know about that. Judy's stage performances were the only work that she could get. No one wanted to take any risks on her, justifiably. I mean, she she was a liability. Absolutely. This included Jerry Herman, who passed on her and went with Angela Lansbury for the Broadway musical Mame. In May of 65, her divorce was said was finally finalized. In November, she married Mark. Well, she gave it a few months. She was probably still open to a clandestine relationship with Sid anyway, so what's the difference if she divorces him or not? In 1966, Judy really began suffering mood swings and thought everyone had betrayed her. Sid, David Bagelman, everyone had betrayed her. A lot of people had betrayed her. Oh, yeah. Judy would openly call her husband Mark faggot in public and just treated him like fucking shit. I'm pretty sure there was not like a lot of love on the intent of that well, nickname. No, not not in this case for sure. People have speculated that she may have been bipolar. Mm-hmm. Okay. First of all, I hate when there's some raging toxic damaged psycho terrorizing everyone and somebody always yells they're bipolar i'm bipolar (laughs) and this is every motherfucker people see on tv or are around that acts marginally crazy gets labeled bipolar well maybe she was maybe she wasn't as a bipolar person yeah i can definitely see her being bipolar but you're not allowed to say it and as someone living with a bipolar person it sounds like she might have been but again with her chemical dependency it's really hard to tell yeah and second of all it's not like they had fuck all to give to her back then for it yeah were they gonna do shock therapy it was at, at the time where they just throw lithium at the problem and once it killed somebody they dialed back a dose Formerly, her anger was always directed towards herself. Now, it was all outward. Being around Judy was exhausting, and Mark would try to get away for moments just to get a break, and it would infuriate her. No longer in love with her alone time, I guess. He was always around her and really took the brunt of it about anything and everything. Judy took up her old hobby of injuring herself superficially again and then blaming Mark for them. Oh, yeah. She rubbed her face bloody on a rough stucco wall, even. Mark and Judy divorced halfway through a year of marriage. Well, like six months. Judy wildly claimed that they never consummated the union anyway. Yeah, I'm sure. Mark went back to his ex, Henry, and stayed with him until his death 24 years later. Well, good for Mark. I was, I'm glad he was able to... Get out of there relatively unscathed. That sounds like a happy ending for him. (laughs) And he only spent six months around Judy. Lorna and Joey, now 14 and 11, who couldn't escape like Mark or others, lived in absolute fear of their mother. Judy was a fucking nightmare. She'd commit small acts of arson. She'd set, like, closets and sometimes whole rooms on fire, and then she'd call the fire department. I don't know what the fuck she was doing there. But the help would quit because she would physically and emotionally abuse them, and she even assaulted a housekeeper with a turkey leg. 
That's not what you do with turkey legs. But she was just really going for the first thing she could grab, apparently. Yeah, I guess so. Tom Green, not that one, became her publicist. (laughs) He was much younger at 26, and he did everything to find someone to help her out. But everyone saw the writing on the wall. Even her self-proclaimed number one fan, Wayne Martin, turned her down. For help finding out if the rumor that a group of Judy's fans were trying to kill her to put her out of her misery, a rumor she believed wholeheartedly, she reached out to her number one fan to see if he had any inside information. However, he was basically over Judy at that point. He told Tom Green, and I cannot stress this enough, not that one, that he wanted to stay out of it. He said his Judy collection was like a sundial. It only recorded when she shined, and he wanted to remember her as she had been, and not as she was now. That's probably would have been for the best if would have gotten away from her and not had to deal with her bullshit. I'm reminded of what a poet once said: "They love you when you're on all the covers. When you're not, they love, they another. love another." Yeah. Okay, naturally, Judy would start fucking Tom as he had a penis and he was in her vicinity. Yes. She once blew him under the table at a restaurant, at an outdoor restaurant in L.A., as he enjoyed his appetizer. She liked the thrill of it, I think. That was her appetizer. (laughs) Ew. The fling ended before 1967 when more shit started falling apart. She had to sell her house because she was once again going broke. Liza's star is really rising at this point. She had a Tony Award and was earning $400,000 a year, but her primary role was Judy's handler and caretaker. Judy bragged that she had protected Liza from the childhood she had, but adult Liza was burdened by being her mother's parent. Judy, prone to casual overdosing, bought her own home stomach pump wholesale so Liza could administer the procedure on her as needed, and she would have to do this an undetermined number of times. Wow, that's that's insane. I mean, just think about that. Having to have your stomach pumped so frequently that you just have your own setup at home. I can't imagine having to have it done once. Yeah, that's a problem. If somebody tries to buy that mechanism, they should talk to that person. Yeah, yeah, have a little heart-to-heart. She's still, I assume, being prescribed these pills, too. By several doctors. Right. Um, Liza even had to hold Judy's feet as she attempted to jump from a hotel window. What can you say about that? It's the most fucking dramatic thing ever. Yeah. (laughs) Don't really know what the intent was, but... Well, I mean, she had to have at least had an inkling that Liza wouldn't be able to catch her or hold her or pull her up. So, she must have been ready to die. Or maybe it's like one of those situations where a dude gets in a fight, his buddies come to hold him back, and he really lets them hold him back. Yeah. Judy and Liza really were two peas in a pod, though, including their taste in men. (laughs) 
1967, Judy played matchmaker, and she matched Liza up with performer Peter Allen. And three weeks after they got married, she found him in bed with a man. Mm -hmm. Three generations of women in the same predicament. Coincidentally, Judy's ex, Mark, and Peter had had sex when he was in Australia with Judy during that horrible tour. (laughs) That is a coincidence. At her lowest point. Wow. Now, another role that got away from Judy was the screen act adaptation of Valley of the Dolls. And that's Valley of the Dolls is what's known as a Roman clay. And that means it's basically real events with the names changed. As aforementioned, she had been the inspiration for Neely O'Hara, but was too old to play that part now. So they wanted to cast her as the brilliant but ruthless and bitchy Broadway star, Helen Lawson. Judy thrived on adoration and just could not work ill. She was fired and she disappeared into her dressing room. She was eventually found by her old friend, Abby Mann, writer-producer at MGM. He walked in the dressing room and found Judy with her dress pulled up above her head, collapsed, OD'd on the floor, her whole bush on full display. Wow. She was so lucky that it wasn't current age with camera phones and shit, but... God, she just keeps giving them more and more shit. What kind of bush is Judy Garland in her 40s rocking? Uh, I don't know. That's <laughs> uh, hard to say, you know? Was it was it curly or straight? Did Abby Mann go in there and go, Well, she had a dress above her head and I thought she was wearing some kind of hair diaper. <laughs> Liza would stay with Peter for three more years. He was a great support system to her, especially with her trying to break free of her mother, and they remained lifelong friends. Judy eventually turns her attention to Lorna after she hears her sing a school concert. She says, fuck Liza, this one will help me pay my rent. Lorna's how old, I wonder? Well, she's in a school concert. Well, yes, I know, but is this the first time Liza's heard her sing? Like, I wonder... Judy... Or, yeah, Judy, sorry. Judy has had to have heard Lorna sing before. But, you know, out of sight, out of mind, this is the one I've got here. Yeah. And, you know, she she prides herself on keeping Liza out of the, you know, same child star spotlight she was in. But, really, it was probably more like, you know, there can't be two stars in this family. Maybe. I don't know. Judy didn't want anyone to steal or shine. Mm-hmm. Soon, both Lorna and Joey left their mom to go live with Sid Luft after another incident where Judy threw a butcher knife at Joey and about a paranoia, not realizing he was her son. God damn. That's There's rough. something more Shit. than paranoia going on there. Mm. It wasn't just dark. He has no talent. Might as well get rid of him. Judy distracted herself with hip young piano player Mickey Deans, who worked at a Manhattan discotheque, Arthur, in 1968. He sounds straight. They're a bit of an odd couple because of the age difference, among other factors. The couple met when a mutual friend asked Deans to deliver amphetamines to Judy. Mickey meets her two youngest children present during the drug deal and introduces himself as her doctor. 
Oh, that sounds very healthy. When Judy was about to embark on a trip to perform an engagement at London's Talk of the Town in December of 68, Mickey proposes after expressing how much he will miss her. Mm. She accepts and he accompanies her to London. The Talk of the Town performances start out as a hit but quickly deteriorated into moments like she had in Melbourne where she and the crowd became at odds. They get married in London in March. Despite their extensive invitation list of friends and famous folk, barely anyone attends. Mm. What's well, in fucking London? Yeah. I mean, shit. But, I mean... You gotta take a boat across the ocean to go to your <laughs> wedding. Fuck your wedding. <laughs> well, I mean, she's still a famous person. If If she hadn't shit on everyone, she probably would have had at least a few attendees. The couple honeymoon in Stockholm after a gig. Judy OD'd again during the stay. Mickey is determined to get her back on track as he genuinely loved and cared about Judy. However, Judy was exhausting and Mickey would also have to sneak out occasionally, like others, to preserve his own well-being. You know, I said she used to value her alone time when she was just miserable when she was left alone. March 25th, 1969, Judy has a triumphant show in Copenhagen. A reviewer says that he can't believe Judy's ability to always come back saying she had 18 lives. I don't believe it either. Well, I did the math and by that reviewer's reasoning, Judy at this point has used up approximately 17.91 lives by the time of this Copenhagen show. Having struggled with her weight her whole life, Judy was now emaciated and barely ate. She described herself as the oldest woman in the world, joking that she was 412 years old, and was convinced that she lost her audience. It would be the audience that lost her first, though. June 17, 1969, Judy and Mickey Deans flew back to London from New York. Bob Jorgen took the couple to New York's Kennedy Airport where Jorgen called Mickey back to say, take very good care of her because she's dying. Jorgen had just dealt with his own mother's death and could see the same signs in Judy. On the plane, Judy allegedly agrees to Dean's proposal of their own A Day in the Life of Judy Garland film and following concerts. Now, who was um, Bob Jorgen again? Bob Jorgen was a friend of theirs. He was a a writer and producer. Okay. I'm not sure of all his titles, but he was a Hollywood mover and shaker that was a friend of theirs. Okay. Saturday, June 21st, the couple cancels plans to go out last minute. The next morning on June 22nd at 10.40 a.m., Judy receives a phone call, but she had locked herself in the bathroom. If you've been listening, you know this isn't a good sign. No. After she didn't respond, to Mickey's knocking, he climbed out onto the roof to look into the bathroom window, and he sees her sitting on the toilet, her head slumped down, and her hands on both her knees. Mickey breaks in the window, and he picks her up. He hears a tiny moan and is relieved briefly. However, it was only the sound of the last bit of air escaping her lungs. Her skin was discolored, and blood was dripping from her mouth. None of those, especially in conjunction are good signs. No, none of that is cause for any hope. The coroner would say later that she had been dead for six to eight hours when he found her. So she went in there overnight, probably. She died 12 days after her 47th birthday. 
God. That was a long 47 years. See, and I didn't know... I knew she died early, but I didn't know she didn't make it out of her 40s. Right. Yeah, I I didn't realize that either. I mean, I've read a lot about this before doing this episode, and I never knew she was that young when she died. At the inquest, Coroner Gavin Thurston stated Judy's cause of death was an accidental barbiturate overdose. Her blood contained roughly the equivalent of 10 second all capsules. He emphasized the accidental nature, suggesting no evidence of suicide. So basically he was saying Judy was taking idiotic doses of pills all the time. Regularly. If she wanted to kill herself, she would have probably taken more than 10. Eerily, Judy's death could be explained by Judy's own comments about what she surmised had happened to Marilyn Monroe. She said, You take a few sleeping pills and you wake up 20 minutes later forgetting you had taken them. So you take a few more and before you know it, you've taken too much. That sounds like a dynamite excuse. Mm -hmm. She was on borrowed time because of cirrhosis of the liver anyway. Another doctor thought Judy likely had an eating disorder also contributing to her death. Well, I mean, you could probably look at her and tell she has an eating disorder. She's had an eating disorder her entire life. There was indication she had been bulimic Mm -hmm. during this time, which sounds like she wasted a lot of pills. (laughs) Her Wizard of Oz co-star, Ray Bolger, commented at her funeral. She was just plain worn out. After she was embalmed, her remains were returned to New York City on June 26th, where they estimated 20,000 people had lined up to pay respects to Judy in an all-night vigil. She had an open casket. People could go up and see her. James Mason gave a eulogy at the funeral. Judy's great gift was that she could bring tears out of hearts of rock. She gave so richly and so generously that there was no currency in which to repay her. Still, some journalists still took pot shots at Uh her, even after she was dead. They made crass write-ups with titles like, Her Last Starring Role. Damn, that's harsh. (laughs) She was a tabloid cash cow, Mm -hmm. and they were going to keep kicking the dead cash cow. Oh, yeah. Judy was buried in New York, but her children eventually have her remains moved to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. She died with a lot of debt, and Liza had to work to pay off her mother's debt with the help of Frank Sinatra. Judy's kids inherit essentially nothing. Lorna and Joe, with their father, Sid Luff, told an auction of about 500 of Judy's items and are able to raise around $250,000 for Judy's kids. I mean, it's just so shitty for them. Their mom was just swallowing all the money she made, and their dad was gambling all the money away and left nothing for them. I mean, obviously, they could get jobs and stuff, so it's not that sad, but still. And that's one of the pros of your parent being this massively famous person is, yeah, they're going to be eccentric and terrible for your upbringing, but you're going to get their money in the end. (laughs) And then they don't even get that. December of 1995, Lorna Luft released a cover of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which was a virtual duet with Garland, much like they did with 
Natalie Cole and Nat King Cole back in the day, if you remember that virtual duet. They mixed Lorna's version with footage of Garland singing it on the Judy Garland show, the Christmas episode, and during that performance, she's actually singing it to an 11-year-old Lorna. Yeah. And younger Joey. I mean, that's, that's sweet. So it's kind of a meta thing on top of it. Oh, yeah. In a 2020 interview, Liza was asked about her relationship with her mother. She said, when I call on her, she's there, and I call on her a lot. She'll say, ignore it a lot. She'll say, it's one opinion. Who cares? Just keep going. So I think even ghost Judy inside of Liza's head is still very demanding. (laughs) No, it sounds like she's helping Liza out of her It seems like backhanded motivation, this kind of language, though. Hmm, maybe. I read a lot about Judy and I passed over a lot of quotes. And I passed over these three a lot and just didn't have any place to put them. But they go together pretty well, so I'll put them right here at the end. These are three of Judy's quotes. I've always taken the Wizard of Oz very seriously, you know. I believe in the idea of the rainbow and I've spent my entire life trying to get over it. Here's another. As for my feelings towards Over the Rainbow, it's become part of my life. It is so symbolic of all the dreams and wishes that I'm sure that's why people sometimes get tears in their eyes when they hear it. And then the last one. I wanted to believe, and I tried my damnedest to believe in the rainbow that I tried to get over and couldn't. just about sums it up, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I thought so too. That was depressing. That was a lot. I mean, you feel sorry for her, but and then you know she also did some pretty bad things, and she just never got the love and adoration from her mother that she wanted, and that I think is probably the root of all of her problems. Yeah, it she was, was her a. Mother. She was very much a product of her environment. There's a lot at the beginning where. She didn't have any control over her, nor she got screwed up a whole lot. Yeah. But then, you know what we always talk about, your trauma and what's wrong with you, that's not on you, but handling that shit is on you. Yeah, it is. You, you still make your own choices. And she didn't handle her shit a lot of the time. No, she didn't, but... She is. But I'm not going to sit here and judge this dead woman. I mean, maybe she finally is over the rainbow now. I hope she is, wherever she is. This dead, possibly bipolar woman. Yeah, the 4 foot 11, 75 pounds of her. She's probably somewhere very nice now. Y'all should consider yourself lucky that I didn't have talent, because I could have been a monster like that. (laughs) Yeah. You had the money and... Oh, I'd be a nightmare. Yeah. You've got the charisma. I would be a danger to myself. Well, you'd have a cult, for sure. You'd Definitely. Oh, that's... You gotta. You probably would have had multiple cult, cults by now. Would have got bored of your sex cult and then, you know, <laughs> started some dark magic cult or something. And I wish L. Ron Hubbard was alive so he could do a master class series on writing <laughs> sci-fi that you could turn into religions. <laughs> Anyhow, I guess we need to wrap this up. That's the end of Judy Garland. 
Yes, thank and you for sticking around and listening to all of it. And I'm sure you feel just light as a feather and ready to have a great day after hearing all that bullshit. Also, after the last episode, I had to get experimental with the audio. I'm sorry if that sounded strange, but I think we had one of our microphones malfunction or it was something I did. One of these days, I'll figure out how to get all the tech set up to where I'll actually record everything. I'll figure it out one of these days. We're coming up on the 50th published episode. Wow, that's impressive. Also, I got to think about what we're going to do next. I have a couple ideas rolling around in my head. I've got some stuff that me and Vinny need to sit down and do. I'll get all that stuff squared away. After I put all this out, I'm going to figure out what I'm doing next and start working on that. But it's going to be some silly, funny stuff. This one wasn't our normal fare. No. No, I mean, it wasn't very crime related it was less gruesome this one i think a lot of the time i deal with stuff that's just so macabre and dark and kind of over the top violent or gory that you don't really embrace the emotion of the situation this one dealt more in just general sadness instead of horror yeah and it's someone that everyone knows everyone's heard judy garland everyone's seen the wizard of oz and everybody's heard something true or not concerning rumors about her or that movie. Yeah. I'm glad to be done with it. I worked pretty hard on this, and you I don't did. like working hard on stuff. <laughs> You'll have to take a break now. But I felt like this story fit in with the rest of the stuff I was doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was horrible. But it's history. We'll see y'all down the road. See ya. This has been a One More Mosh Pit production. Available on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Basically, wherever you can find quality podcasts. If you liked what you heard here today, spread the word. Or go check us out on Facebook. We have a page. You can come and like and follow us and keep up with all our stuff. And you know what? If you didn't like what you heard here today, keep that shit to yourself, huh?